Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each week we get together for three hours on a Sunday night. We talk about the news of the week, the events of our sometimes bizarre lives, and we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. And, of course, it would not be the John and Leah Show without Leah Brandon. Leah, how are you this evening? I'm doing very well. How are you? Hanging in. Uh, it's been a little hectic. Um, we had a little technical problem before the program. Hopefully that's all ironed out. It's all um, good. Yeah. I know things are good in, in your neck of the woods in Alabama since uh, the roll <laughs> Crimson Tide, Roll Tide won the SEC title. So all is as they should be. Things are as it's they right. should be in Alabama. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the pro- three-hour program. We normally start off talking about a little bit of college football, but obviously the news this week has been voluminous and extremely serious, yep. and we're going to get to all of that first. But before we do any of that, um, we're, this is a unique program in a lot of ways, one of which is we really do quite an amazing service to each and every one of our listeners. Because we don't have that many, let's face it. <laughs> we're on 20 different stations across the country, including New York and Los Angeles, and we're going to be on in a couple more starting in January. In fact, we're going to be adding Boston and St. Louis. I don't think I, I don't think you know that. We're adding Boston and St. Louis. Wait a minute. We're adding St. Louis? Yeah. Oh, this is going to be good. What's this going on in St. Good. Louis? What's in St. Saint, Louis? So many things are yeah. happening in St. Louis. All right. So but beginning of the next year, we'll be on a 22 different stations. Um, but we have a brand new listener for the first time tonight. Okay. Who is it? Very special listener. My three-year-old daughter, Grace Ziegler, is listening to the program. No, oh, we've been on for a year, and she's finally tuning in. Well, it's, that's great. It's a very special occurrence for Grace to be listening because she's in the car right now, and which never happens on a Sunday evening, except tonight because she is the most spoiled three-year-old in America. She's on of her course. way. She's on her way back from Disneyland with her mom tonight. So, oh, she so, went to Disneyland. Right. So she's driving from Disneyland uh, back home. Uh, and so, you know, it's what the the funniest part to me about this, saying hi to my three-year-old daughter, Grace, other than the fact that when we were on KFI in Los Angeles, I guarantee you never anticipated us having that moment uh, on the air. No. Uh, it, of course not. But here's the here's the funny part. You, you know, when you were a young child, if, if your dad ever said hi to you on the radio, you would have thought that was a big deal, right? Oh, sure. I mean, that would have been a huge, you would have been out of your mind. Oh, yeah. I'm convinced right now Grace thinks that someone has called into her mom's Jeep because when she gets a call on her cell phone, she can take the call through the radio. So, okay. so because so because of modern technology, this is just nothing more than dad calling in without <laughs> without dad hearing Grace. In fact, this is less than the specialness of a phone call for her. So this is how technology has destroyed everything that is special in our culture. It really has. It has. I mean, taking a picture, no longer a big deal because everything is photographed. A videotape, same deal. Mentioning your child on the radio over 20 different stations across the country, eh, put the movie back on, Mom. Because <laughs> I guarantee, I don't like this movie, is what Grace is saying right now. I don't like this movie. That's what she says. So I'm sure Shrek 2 will be on uh, momentarily. As a matter of fact, Mom, go ahead, put Shrek 2 on and have a safe drive uh, back at home, and I'll see you tomorrow. Grace, uh, have a good night and love you lots. Hi, Grace. All right, that's enough of that. Okay, see, we really take care of each and every one of our listeners, especially in the younger demos. That's a very valuable demo, that that four-year-old under uh, demo. Uh, we've got 
that one nailed tonight by one person. All right. So when we come back, we'll get to the very, very serious news of the week. Obviously, the uh, now apparently a terrorist attack. This is shocking. The uh, president of the United States tonight announcing that we were hit by a terrorist attack this week, uh, mm-hmm. not too far from where I'm broadcasting in Southern California. This was uh, a shock to a lot of people uh, who had under uh, triple-digit IQs. So um, we'll explain all of that and get in deep into what happened this week and what it really means, as you won't hear it anywhere else, only right here on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. This program is on each and every Sunday night for three hours on 20 different stations across the country. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com where you can check out links to each and every one of the 20 stations on which we are currently broadcast, including in New York and in Los Angeles. Leah comes at us from Birmingham, Alabama. I'm broadcasting from just north of Los Angeles. And, of course, Southern California was the epicenter of most of the news this week because uh, for much of the week we were told that there was the most bizarre case of workplace violence (laughs) in the history of the United States. And, um, you know, apparently the president has changed his mind on that, but I – I'm still confused as to how we got to where we are. So why don't we start at the beginning, Leah, and why don't you wrap up uh, what we think we know to this point about what occurred in San Bernardino, California this week. Okay, well, as of today, it is being called the deadliest terror attack on U.S. soil since 9-11. And it happened in San Bernardino, California, where a heavily armed Muslim couple, Syed Farouk and his Pakistani imported wife, Tashfeen Malik, killed 14 people at a Christmas party and wounded at least 20 more. As the country watched, the search for the suspects after the shooting unfolded on live television. Here's the police chief from San Bernardino. One is a male, one is a female. Uh, They were dressed in uh, kind of assault-style clothing. I think it's probably the best way to term it. They uh, they are both armed with assault rifles. Uh, They are both armed with handguns. And there's uh, there's also uh, kind of some sensitive stuff around the vehicle that they're just not real sure. They're taking a very cautious approach to dealing with the vehicle in case there's more explosives there. And they were killed by police in a shootout in a Redlands, California neighborhood. Now, on CBS, while the shootout was ongoing, President Obama was talking gun control. My hope is is that um, you know, we're able to contain this particular shooting and and. Uh, We don't yet know what the motives uh, of of the shooters are. Uh, But what we do know is is that there are steps we can take to make uh, Americans safer uh, and that we should come together in a bipartisan basis at every level of government to to, make these rare uh, as opposed to normal. We should never think that uh, this is uh, something that just happens in the ordinary course of events because it doesn't happen uh, with the same frequency in other countries. Now, we learned that Syed Farouk met his soon-to-be wife online. They He traveled to Saudi Arabia a year ago. He brought her back here on a fiancé visa. Then the two of them had a child, dropped the child off, 
at six months old with relatives saying they had a dentist appointment and went on their murderous rampage. At their home, more than 12 bombs were discovered, some taped to remote-controlled cars, and we found out later one was actually left at the scene of the Christmas party, but it didn't go off. Now, less than 24 hours after the shooting, Rudy Giuliani said if anyone doesn't understand the motivation, they're a moron. Carly Fiorina and Ted Cruz both weighed in. It sure looks like Islamic extremism and terrorism to me. Our prayers are with the families of those who were murdered, of those who were shot. And all of us are deeply concerned that this is yet another manifestation of terrorism, radical Islamic terrorism here at home. But the Obama administration and the mainstream media refused to say it. The FBI has been very careful about attributing motive here so far. It seems they really want to make sure they've penetrated down to the bedrock before they come out and say anything definitive. From the president on down, the president, the attorney general, the FBI officials here in Washington, the special agent in charge in L.A., and the county and city authorities, they're all saying much the same. We don't know why they did it. It's, it's hard. It's mind-boggling. Really, um, we're all waiting for the results of the investigation to know what the real motives. What would have made someone snap like that? That this was terrorist-related, but we don't know. Uh, it's also possible that this was workplace-related. Now, even when the FBI discovered that the wife had pledged her allegiance to ISIS online in a Facebook post under an alias and then deleted it, and that Syed uh, Farouk had communicated online with, ter with terrorists known to the FBI, still they wouldn't say the motivation. It took three full days for them to actually call it a terrorist attack. Now, on Friday, a group of Democratic Congress members actually went to mosques to show their allegiance to the Muslims in America. And Attorney General Loretta Lynch went so far as to threaten prosecution to anyone who uses so-called anti-Muslim rhetoric that she says edges towards violence. Obviously, this is a country that is based on free speech. But when it edges towards violence, when we see... Uh, the potential for someone to lift, lifting that mantle of anti-Muslim rhetoric, or as we saw after 9-11, violence directed at individuals who may not even be Muslims, but may be perceived to be Muslims. Uh, when we see that, we will take action. Now, that's important because one neighbor, as well as a group of utility workers uh, that were working in the area where this couple lived, they all said they saw suspicious behavior going on late at night in the garage of the Farouk's home, but did not report it for fear of being called racist and or doing some Muslim profiling. So there you have it. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm buying it, Leah. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm still holding on to this workplace violence theory. I mean, come on. The president is a smart guy. He wouldn't have thrown that out there unless there was something to back that up, right? I mean, I mean, well, they were making fun of his beard. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. Let's let's take a look at the evidence here. There there was the uh, the the made fun of the beard theory. I mean, mm -hmm. that that's a strong theory right there. I mean, it was Christmas, yeah. you know, a Christmas party. I mean, let's 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 take a look at this. I mean, we we've got a apparently one person saying something about making fun of a beard. And we also have a fragmentary report. Interestingly, and this is, I mean this part seriously, I'm not, I mean, obviously I'm being facetious in the, in the larger scale of things here, but this is a serious point. 
you know, the, the fragment that on which the workplace violence theory hinged for two and a half, three days was the notion that there was a dispute, That's right? right? A dispute at this holiday get together, whatever it was. Now, th- this is where, where, where I think my BS detector is particularly <laughs> well honed because I, I'm somebody that when I look at something that's being said, I look, I go, okay. If that's true, should there be more evidence of that than what we are being given? Because let's think about this straight. Let's pretend that Farouk went in there and got in a big dispute, right? Mm-hmm. First, yeah. first of all, you get in a big dispute at a workplace holiday party. People are going to know it more than just one person, right? They're, that's right. And they're especially going to know it if 15 minutes later you come back with your wife and shoot up the place because then everybody who survives, everybody who survives is instantaneously going to know, Oh my God, that's the guy who got in a dispute with somebody left and came back to kill us. Right. That's right. Every, Mm -hmm. everybody. I mean, it would be like literal wildfire, verbal, literal wild wildfire as to what caused this within the survivors, and there were plenty of survivors, there were, right. thankfully. There were lots and lots of survivors. Unfortunately, there were 14 dead and a lot injured, badly injured. But, but the reality is, had that been truthful, we would have had zero doubt about it. We would have seen half a dozen at least people go in front of cameras and say, oh, my gosh. The guy was in- insane. You know, he got in a big shouting match. He was screaming. Uh, we left. We were all nervous what was going on. Then he came back with guns and his wife, and all hell broke loose. That's what we would have heard. It didn't happen. Exactly. Instead, what we got was one fragment from one, and I tried very hard to, tr- to nail this down. I I'm, could never. No, I could never get a name. Forget no. about forget about a face. Nobody said this on camera that I could find. Why mm-hmm. I could never find anybody whose face was associated with this or their name was associated with this story. And then later in the week, I saw a, a, one of the top law enforcement officials on the case asked on CNN, "Do we still believe this?" And reading between the lines, he basically said, "No, no, no mm-hmm. we don't." But the, and speaking of names. We knew Farouk's name within minutes uh, because it came out on the scanner and it was all over Facebook, yet it took them days to say it. And that's absolutely politically motivated. But let me just say one more thing about this, this issue of the alleged dispute, because this is important. Whenever something like this happens in the news media, if they see a fragment of information, no matter how lacking in credibility that backs a narrative they like look out because they're going to plant that seed and they're going to they're going to make sure that seed grows as far (laughs) and as fast as it can until it has to be killed and it finally did have to get killed although it took several days and we'll give you more about what really happened in this travesty when we come back on the john and leah show here on the free speech broadcasting network
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. We're broadcasting live each and every Sunday night on 20 different stations throughout the country, including New York and Los Angeles. And right now we're deconstructing, because the media won't do it for you, what really happened and did not happen with regard to the San Bernardino terrorist attack that occurred this week. And, Leah, I just want to let's go back to what I was talking about in the last segment just before the break. Your BS detector? Yeah, well, this is really important because this this is – and key to not just understanding what happened with this story, but with a lot of stories just like it. When a really big story happens like this, the reality is human beings are horrible at reporting anything. I mean, we're mm-hmm. just we are terrible by our very nature at reporting. My wife and her entire family are the worst. I, I refer to them as the Iranian news service. I mean, <laughs> you, human beings are just terrible reporters as it is. And unfortunately, people who get paid to report aren't much better. Mm-mm. So when a, a big story comes out of nowhere, there's always going to be details that are wrong. And as the details are coming in, these media morons, you know, you know who I'm talking about, right? Well, the- <laughs> All right, these media morons, they're, what they're looking for is a narrative. Right. Yes. There that's the one that they like. Well that well that's preferable. <laughs> that's that's the first thing they're looking for. As, a, as, a Baghdad Bob narrative, right. if we can. Right. So when all these details are coming in, the ones they don't like get pushed to the side. Oh sure they do. But but if they get one, ooh, look, here's one we like. This is there's a what this is a dispute? There was a dispute at the party. You mean this could be workplace violence? Let's go with wow. All right, let's see. If we is there anything else that goes with this particular narrative? Gun control. Right. Well, right. Of course, gun control. That's what they want. Now they tried for two or three days desperately to oh, find yeah. something that could back up the dispute narrative for which there was no actual evidence, and I mean zero, zero actual evidence. And the only thing they could find was. Maybe he got made fun of about a, his beard. That's yes. it. For three days, the entire media industrial complex tried desperately to back up their boy, President Obama's preferable narrative here. And all they came up with was making fun of a beard, maybe. No actual evidence of that either. Um, and and there, were, there were some reporters like Chris Cuomo on CNN who took the beard theory seriously. Oh, I mean, sure. I mean. How is that possible? How how could anybody think that within five seconds of seeing what happened here, that this was, forget about the notion of workplace violence, that this was somehow about a beard. But but here's what's important from, from a bigger perspective and, and understanding how the news media works, and I understand this better than probably anybody on the planet, that the, the bigger the story, the bigger the ship. And like any ship, if it starts in one direction, it's really hard to turn that baby around, right? Especially so, when you don't want to. Right, exactly. So when you got 95% of the media pushing this giant ship in one direction, and it's the direction they want to go, and they're just going to put the blinders on, right? They don't want to hear. They don't want to see anything that disrupts this narrative because we've decided, damn it, this is where the ship is headed. We don't care. I mean, I've, I've lived it for three and a half years on the Penn State story. Look, you're too late, John. We decided this ship was going in this 
this direction. It doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter what logic is. It doesn't matter what the truth is. This is where we're going. Yeah. So, and and that's that's what happened with this thing. But the but in this case, this is what's so remarkable about, about the San Bernardino terrorist attack. The facts were so overwhelming. Oh yeah. That it took till tonight. President Obama, which we'll get to his speech in specifics a little bit later on, but it, it took till tonight, within a week, but still a long time, for finally the narrative to pretty much now be set and corrected as a terrorist attack as opposed to this lame brain notion that somehow this could have been an instantaneous dispute turned into workplace violence. Um, well, did you hear that it could have been Tashfeen Malik's postpartum depression? <laughs> Yes, I heard that one, too. Okay, I, I did mm-hmm. hear that one, um, you know, and, and frankly, considering the fact that it now appears to me as if she was probably the one pushing this thing more than he was. Although we don't know that, but she was at least an equal partner in this. That at least made maybe a tiny little bit of sense. No, uh, uh, no, 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 Leah, no. Leah I want to emphasize tiny. I mean, tiny, right? I mean, more than better than a better than a beard being made fun of. I mean, come on, you got to give me that, right? I mean, True. I mean, come on. It's but, always something that's done to the terrorist that excuses the behavior. It's all right. unbelievable. All right, now, this matters. See, this is not just media criticism for the sake of media criticism. This is really important for a number of reasons. Number one, by the way, it shows that for like the 101st time in this wild and crazy year, 2015, conservatives blink reaction to a news story turns out to be true. Of course. And liberals blink reaction turns out to be 100% false. I mean, their their first reaction was, is there a Planned Parenthood anywhere nearby? But that was actually- Uh, That was unreal. I mean, was there a Planned Parenthood? (laughs) Come on, people. And their immediate reaction is workplace violence, gun control. Let's not crazy Christian. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right wingers. That was that was mentioned. This must have been a right wing attack for some reason. They're always wrong. Always wrong. Um, And then there's a good reason for that. It's not because they're stupid. It's because they see the world through a messed up prism. So when the information goes through that prism and it gets to them, it doesn't compute right. That's what happened here. Conservatives looked at this and go, uh, "Hello, duh. terrorism." Yeah, you know, what? Islamic terrorism. Yeah, you know what? Kind of this is bizarre. No one else will make this bizarre analogy, but but it, since it happens to be, I somehow in the news, I saw it online today. Um, it's just kind of like the issue of whether or not Michael Jackson's son is really his son. Right. All right. I mean, Michael Jackson's son is so clearly not biologically his son. Right. You know what I'm the one I'm talking about? Yes. He's as white Prince. He's as white as I am. Right. There's, yes. there's zero chance he's his son. Yeah. Yeah. We have to pretend we have to pretend because it hasn't been acknowledged publicly by anybody, apparently, but by him. Because apparently he's saying he's not really Michael Jackson's son biologically. We have to pretend. Well, despite all the evidence otherwise, we have to pretend. Well, it's the same way with this terrorist attack. We had to pretend for several days that what we didn't see was what not what we saw. I mean, it was obvious to anybody, as Rudy Giuliani said, who wasn't a moron, that this was a terrorist attack. Now, what, what does that mean? And what really happened here? Well, we'll try to answer those two questions when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. 
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. We continue with our coverage of the terrorist attacks in San Bernardino, California, uh, this particular week, which dominated the news. And it took quite a while for the news media to finally acknowledge, because because you're only allowed as the news media, the news media is only allowed to acknowledge the truth when Democrats say it's okay. So uh, up until the time when President Obama begrudgingly says, yeah, okay, fine, whatever, this was a terrorist attack, which he said tonight, which we'll get to uh, momentarily, uh, that now finally gives the media uh, the, the green light to say, okay, what is what is obviously true is what we're going to tell you. Uh, we're probably not going to emphasize it very much now. In fact, by next week, this is going to be a, a, a story that will quickly fade away because, after all, the terrorists are dead. And, you know, what, as Hillary might say. What difference at this point does it make? You know, so we have to realize that this is not going to get emphasized. And let's be very clear. The, the motive on behalf of the Obama administration and the media in downplaying the terrorist angle was, one, I, I'll give them a little bit of credit. Okay, fine. You don't want to rush to judgment. That's great. But there was plenty of evidence here to come to a conclusion way before they did. But here's the real motivation. The real motivation was they were hoping against hope that somehow it wasn't terrorism because that makes Correct. them look bad. But number three, here's the real motivation. Delay, 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 so that by the time you admit it or forced to admit it, it's an old story and we can move on. That's the key. Because if it's because if it's terrorism, immediately the story is white hot and it has a longer shelf life. And this was hot and it's the big story. But I'm guessing by this time next week, it's going to feel old like all these attacks uh, have in the past, no matter how big they are. I mean, look, we're already beyond Paris now in a lot of ways. So so let's let's go back to what actually happened here. And I'm curious what you think really occurred. But it certainly seems to me as if the wife here is the key to understanding this story. Uh, there's some sh- shaky details. We still don't know for sure the circumstances of how she got here. And I'm somebody who's very objective. I don't think that the proof that she uh, used an incorrect address or a false name uh, and that kind of stuff is necessarily accurate either. I think that there's some on the right that are looking at that kind of like the dispute narrative and going, aha, see, see, this is what we've been telling you. Now, I don't know. We don't, we, I don't think anyone knows at this point uh, because the, 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 the information is very fragmented and sketchy and and a, a lot of it's very vague. I mean, let's be let's be clear. When you come from Pakistan, there's a good chance your address. We don't know anything about you. Right. I mean, your address is not likely is going to be as as easily uh, Google mapped as you know, <laughs> if, you, if you live in a major American city. I mean, that's just True. that's just the reality of it. So we don't know. But the, here's why we knew it was terror. At least I knew it was terrorism the first night. Um, the first thing that was very very odd, and I think is a key to understanding the larger picture here is that the moment, I mean, almost literally the moment, that Farouk's name was finally out on a, in a mainstream outlet, CARE instantaneously had a press conference with Farouk's brother-in-law. Did you see yes. this? Now, now this, was, this is key, because let's, let's, again, let's use our brains here, folks. If this was not terrorism, and... If the family truly was completely shocked, and if the local uh, Muslim community had no idea that Farouk 
could possibly be involved in something like this. If that was all true, there is no possible way that the brother-in-law would be known to care and that care would be ready to go that fast on the offensive. All right, on the offensive with a press conference. That is Thank you. That is not possible. That Thank is, you. That is not possible. For the, I mean, no matter how care is not that competent to begin with. Nobody is that competent. I mean, I have been involved in some not situations like this, but I mean, it's not easy to organize a press conference. I mean, especially with somebody who's never spoken in front of the media before. So, so the idea that they already knew, I mean, care knew this was Farouk and here's his family and here's his mm-hmm. brother-in-law and we better get out in front of this baby. That's Wh- right. Why? Why? Because they knew. Mm-hmm. Because they knew. And Frankly, I mean, you know, Donald Trump's the only person I've seen publicly say it. Uh, I'm starting to believe he's right. It certainly appears to me as if everybody near Farouk knew. Uh, They had to. That's correct. You agree with that? I don't buy this whole thing about family members not knowing what's going on. I don't buy it, ever. I don't. Well, it seems absurd. I mean, when you look at... (laughs) And, of course, we have to at least acknowledge the insane moment when several cable news networks went live into the Farouk's apartment <laughs> um, to rummage through their stuff. MSNBC, though, really takes the cake. Oh, yeah, because it, within one day, MSNBC went from saying we should not profile Muslims and treat them as if they're terrorists. They went from that to, oh, by the way, here's the public, in- the private information of some Muslims <laughs> that are attached to terrorists. We're going to publish it right on national television with no editing, including a driver's license of the bomb. I mean, that's, Unbelievable. that's, that's MSNBC for you. But but here's here's the thing. So, so when you look at that apartment and you think that the mother lived with them, Left with she them. knew. And, they all knew. And they left the that was and then the key the key fact that obviously made this ter- not a, a workplace violence issue is they left the baby with the mom. So mm-hmm. you don't leave the baby with the mom to go do vo- workplace violence, especially no, you when don't. especially when you're claiming to go to the doctor's office or the dentist's office, whatever it was. So it is absurd that this woman, unless she is you know, beyond an imbecile. I'm not even going to play this imbecile sound effect because you have to be beyond an imbecile to be living there and not know something weird was going on with the guns and the bombs and the contraptions <laughs> and everything else and all the packages, allegedly. There, there's just no possible way. And when you look at what Farouk's father has been saying, now they've been estranged, but he has been directly quoted as saying that, Look, uh, this he is a devout Muslim. He got radicalized. He hated Israel. Uh, he was obsessed with ISIS. Right. So when you look at all that, I mean, if the if the dad who is estranged is willing <laughs> against his own self interest, by the way, he has no True. he has no interest in, in this being the narrative, right? So right. against his own self interest, if the dad is saying this, how in the world could the mom who was living there not know? That she knew. Come on. Farouk Farouk was radicalized. He met this crazy radical online. They plotted an attack. That He brought her over here, married her just to get her here, and they planned it all along. 
and we're that's not, what I believe. I I think that that's the most logical scenario. That's Oxum's razor right there, and we're learning tonight. Now that it's okay for the media to fully explore this angle, we're learning tonight that uh, apparently they had other targets planned. And, and this is exactly what we talked about after Paris. I don't know if you remember this. You probably do, Leah. But one of the reasons I was so depressed about Paris was that I was saying, in fact, I even theorized that something could happen on, on uh, Black Friday after Thanksgiving, yes. that, that, that because this is so incredibly easy, easy, because it's so easy to have happen, that's what's so scary about it. And what's what's m- one of the many mind-blowing aspects of the media and Obama administration reaction to this is somehow we're supposed to feel better because it doesn't appear as if they were part of an official ISIS cell or took directives from ISIS. And my reaction to that is, whoa. Use your brains, people. This is far, far scarier because ISIS just hit us in Southern California, killing 14 people, injuring over a dozen others, and they didn't even know about it. Thank you. They didn't even try. That's that's how easy this is. ISIS hit us. And they didn't even try. They might not have even known. They might have had some vague knowledge that these wackadoodles in uh, San Bernardino were going to try something. But that's about it. There, there was no evidence yet that they funded them, trained them very much. I mean, somebody did. Well, not very well, because once again, I always say this after every no, terrorist no, somebody attack. funded them. Well, yeah, it's true. They, that, there's no question they needed money. That that is an interesting question. I will agree that while they made decent money at his job, fifty uh, grand though, that's not that much. I heard more than that, but whatever. I mean, there's a good chance they got funding somewhere, but that that will be certainly interesting to know. But it, it's it, we always say this uh, after and, and Trump once again nailed this as well. We'll hear from mm. him later on the program. These people are not that bright. They're not that competent. This was a failed. This is how easy it is, folks. ISIS didn't really help them. They weren't very good. Most of what they planned didn't happen, mm-hmm. and it was still a huge success in their minds. That's how dangerous this is. That's how scary this is. And to me, it is far more depressing, far more dangerous, uh, and far more fear-inducing to think that we are now so vulnerable that this can happen without ISIS even trying. And to get back what we said to what we said after uh, Paris, what depresses me so much is that the only way to stop this kind of attack is lock and load, baby, is something we're not willing to do. And the president's speech tonight, which we're going to get to in the next hour, further illustrated that there was nothing he said in his speech tonight, not one thing that he said that would have remotely stopped this attack from happening. He went he went off on the notion that it is absurd to allow people on a no-fly list to ha- to buy guns. Well, guess what? They weren't on a no-fly list and guess what? They didn't even buy the guns. The guns were purchased by an old friend of his who's now in a mental hospital. Did you hear about this? Oh yeah, so that he can't be questioned. Well, I don't know if that's why. I mean, I'd go. Oh, yeah. That was very smart. I would be in a mental hospital, too, if I sold guns to an old friend who ended up killing 14 people. Come on. He's part of it. Wow. 
Boy, Leah Brandon, more cynical than John Ziegler. He's part of it. He put, he tucked himself away. All right. More on this when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. 